0: Welcome back for episode 46 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Marriage of the Lamb. I'm Sam Breck and your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England. We hope you've gotten your copy of Breck's book based on this podcast series. It's called The Bright and Morning Star: Finding and Following Jesus Through the Book of Revelation.
1: Yeah, the whole church will be studying the book of Revelation in the Sunday school for the next couple of weeks. I've been studying Revelation now for about nine years in preparation to write this book. It's been a lot of work. People ask me, why? And I say, insane levels of curiosity.
0: <laughs> so, it's good to be curious. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah insanely curious. I'm not sure. But. So I hope a lot of you will pick up The Bright and Morning Star. I believe it will really help you to understand Revelation. It sure helped me. And that's a big challenge.
0: Yeah, it is. We bought several copies for our friends and family for Christmas, and uh, I think it's going to be a just a perfect gift for, for this year. Most people read it and just scratch their head trying to figure it out, but your book makes things so much clearer and more meaningful. No, that was
1: my goal to um, to understand Revelation myself, and I found out so much I didn't know while writing of the book
0: that I couldn't wait to share it with everybody. You you know, I I share episodes of our podcast with people randomly every week, and it's just just, (laughs) I just love it. It's just awesome. If you haven't already ordered a copy, you can find it easily on Amazon.com. Just type in the name Breck England or the title of The Bright Morning Star and put in your order. It's available on paperback or on Kindle. If you like the book, make sure to leave a, a good review on Amazon. Now let's get back to episode 46 the marriage of the Lamb. In our last episode, we passed through the veil into the celestial world. The trials of mortality and the Last Judgment are over, and the saints are safe in New Jerusalem in the warm embrace of the Lord. But the story isn't over yet.
1: No, it isn't. Um, There's more to come. And and we're coming now to the final scene of the temple drama that John views and participates in. Could you read um, chapter 19... Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 and 7.
0: And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. So what is the marriage of the Lamb?
1: Well, the lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is the bridegroom who's about to get married in this passage.
0: Christ is the bridegroom, but who's the bride? That's an
1: interesting question. Let's go on and read chapter 21, verse 2.
0: And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, come down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband.
1: All <laughs> right, so the city... Uh, the New Jerusalem
0: is the bride,
1: or rather, the New Jerusalem is compared to a bride who is entering a room for her marriage. Right, And in verses 9 and 10, an angel says to John, uh, quote, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven, from God.
0: So the bride is
1: a city. Well, this is this is kind of a complicated metaphor. The bride is identified with the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven. And remember the new Jerusalem is a cubical structure, right? right that right. he sees coming descending out of heaven, you know, like a like a cubical spaceship. <laughs> he sees this cube <laughs> coming down out of heaven. It's a, it's a structure which is supposed to uh, suggest the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. If you remember, the Holy of Holies was a, was a cubicle room that was um, the holiest part of the temple. And this marriage ceremony is clearly the high point of the whole book of Revelation and the culmination of our journey through the temple. What we're about to witness is a ceiling. Who is being sealed to whom? Well, all through the scriptures, the Lord likens his relationship to the house of Israel, to a marriage relationship, all the way through the Old Testament, right? And you'll remember that in Israel, anciently and still true among Orthodox Jews, uh, there were two parts to a marriage. The betrothal, Hebrew word for it was erusin) and the actual wedding, the nisuin) which takes place sometime later. And at the betrothal, the bride and groom sign a document called the ketubah, which is what?
0: It's the marriage contract.
1: Right. In Jewish tradition, the Lord made a marriage contract with the house of Israel at Mount Sinai during the Exodus, seven weeks after the first Passover. Seven weeks after the first Passover, when the children of Israel left Egypt. On the 50th day, after their departure from Egypt, the Lord promised this. He promised to wed Israel forever in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies, in faithfulness, and they shall know the Lord. And that's a quotation from Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. So the Lord made a ketubah agreement with Israel at Mount Sinai. In, in a Jewish wedding when the um, or rather betrothal ceremony when they formalize the ketubah the groom makes a pledge to the bride he says quote i will honor support and maintain thee and be thy shelter and refuge in everlasting mercy unquote so that's what the groom pledges to the bride uh, and and in return at mount sinai the israelites made a covenant to keep the commandments of the Lord. So every year after that, the Israelites commemorated that 50th day, which we call Pentecost. And the word Pentecost is simply Greek for 50th. Okay? So it's the 50th day. But the Jews call it Shavuot, which is the Feast of um, the harvest, feast of the wheat harvest. And in ancient times, this occurred around the summer solstice. And that, of course, is the highest point in the sky that the sun climbs to, right, in, in, the, in the summer. And it's interesting. In the Psalms, there's this beautiful passage where the sun is referred to, the sun in the sky, is referred to as, quote, as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. That's in Psalm 19 verse 5. The Israelites called that time of year the noon of the year, the Feast of of Shavuot. One scholar calls it, quote, the anniversary of the betrothal between God and the Jewish people. The Lord is the heavenly groom, and the Jewish people represent the beloved bride, and the Torah, which is their word for the, the law, the five books of Moses, represents the ketubah, the marriage
0: covenant. So the bride is the house of Israel or the church.
1: In this scene in Revelation 21, the bridegroom is the Lord and the bride is the church or the the uh, redeemed saints.
0: So how can the Lord marry a bunch of people? Well,
1: it's all figurative. The uh, marriage metaphor represents the divine love of God for his children. But notice At Sinai, the Lord only promised to redeem the house of Israel. It's only a promise, ketubah, which uh, a written promise. The actual wedding only takes place after a period of probation. You remember that Joseph took Mary to wife, Mm -hmm. but they had not come together uh, when he found that she was expecting uh, a baby. And because they weren't married yet, but betrothed, he had a choice of um, either renouncing her or redeeming her. And um, of course he chose to redeem her as her husband. And the wedding went forward because there hadn't been a wedding yet, right?
0: It was a betrothal situation. Mm -hmm. So
1: it's the same, it's a period of probation, a period mm -hmm. of, where you prove yourself.
0: Yeah, which is mortal life, actually, for us, right?
1: Right. That's how, um, that's how I interpret the book of Revelation, because Jesus writes, or, or Jesus seals this ketubah promise, but it's not fulfilled until we show our faithfulness. Right, right. Okay, so Alma calls, <coughs> in the Book of Mormon, um, he calls it, quote, a space granted unto us, in which we might repent. Therefore, this life became a probationary state, a time to prepare to meet God, a time to prepare for that endless state, which is the resurrection of the dead, unquote. It's just like that period between the betrothal and the wedding. Our probationary state mm-hmm. is the mortal life. And if we live up to the terms of the katuba then we are prepared.
0: So by the time we get to New Jerusalem, we've lived up to the terms of the Ketubah, and the marriage can take place. Right, through our faithfulness.
1: The terms of the Ketubah have been met at this
0: point in the book of Revelation.
1: A fine New Testament scholar named Jan Fekas points this out. He says, and this is an important quote from my interpretation of the book of Revelation. He says, quote, Nuptial imagery is at the heart of John's evocation of the new Jerusalem. The visionary drama of the bride unfolds through a preparation phase and then the wedding itself. Unquote. So this scholars see the same thing. They see that the book of Revelation is actually the record of preparation for a wedding ceremony, and I find that very interesting.
0: And now we come to the ceiling room.
1: Yeah, the preparation stage is complete, and we are now in the Holy of Holies, the new Jerusalem, where the presence of God dwells, right? There's an apocryphal uh, Gospel of Philip, which they dug out of the ground in the 1940s, an um, ancient book. The Gospel of Philip is an early Christian document. It uh, speaks of this last stage as taking place in a bridal chamber. Mm. I find that phrase very interesting. Yeah. Where a sacred marriage would be performed, which was believed to be eternally binding mm. and which had to be performed in mortality mm. according to the gospel of Philip. And there's an LDS scholar named Stephen Robinson who makes commentary on it, finds it really, really important, really interesting. So now comes the sealing ritual for the union of bride and groom And, of course, figuratively, for the union of Israel and our Father in Heaven.
0: The sealing applies to us as individuals and also to the church, it sounds like.
1: Yes. President Nelson said in the last conference, quote, The Lord has clearly taught that only men and women who are sealed as husband and wife in the temple and who keep their covenants will be together through the eternities. Unquote. Straightforward. Pretty straightforward. So the marriage of the lamb is a metaphor in the book of Revelation for the sealing of husband and wife in the everlasting covenant.
0: Did the ancient Israelites get married in a temple ceremony?
1: There's a lot we don't know about ancient marriage customs. But some things we do know sound a lot like temple ordinances. For example, the first stage in a marriage ceremony was a set Of initiatory ordinances. The bride was washed, anointed, and clothed before the wedding. And even today, Jewish brides take a ritual bath before the ceremony to ensure their uh, ritual purity under the Law of Moses. And then the anointing of the bride was an important component, at least anciently it was, of the preparation phase. that's according to um, an apocryphal book called The the History of the Rechabites. There was an anointing ceremony for brides before their wedding. And according to a medieval Jewish book called the Zohar, the bride would put on a clean white linen dress to symbolize the Shekhinah. And the Shekhinah is a Hebrew word that refers to the shining cloud that represents the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. It's the light of Christ. It says in Zohar, it says this, quote, The robe of the Shekinah is made of light, often described as a bride wearing a garment of light, the light of the first day of creation. Unquote. Interesting set of images there. Uh, In the apocryphal book, History of the Rechabites, we learn that both bride and groom were, quote, now, covered with a stole of glory like that which clothed Adam and Eve before they sinned, unquote. And we know that God gave Adam and Eve mm-hmm. coats of skins to represent the priesthood, right, and the covenant. And the books of Enoch, and again, apocryphal books um, in particular, they talk a lot about these holy garments that Adam and Eve passed on. They wore and then passed on to their descendants,
0: so far, the ancient Jewish wedding sounds a lot like a temple ceremony.
1: Well, apparently they also received a new name when they got married. There's a remarkable apocryphal book called Joseph and Asenath, which is, um, was probably written by a Christian sometime in the first two centuries after Christ. It tells the story of the wedding of the patriarch Joseph, uh, you remember him with the mm-hmm. multicolored coat. His wedding to his Egyptian bride, who is the princess Asenath. When Asenath prepares for her wedding to Joseph in this book, the archangel Michael visits her and gives her a new name. Quote, Your name shall no longer be called Asenath, but your name shall be City of Refuge, because in you many nations will take refuge with the Lord God unquote. So here, the bride figuratively becomes a city, just like in Revelation, wow, right? Wow. Um, where uh, again, the bride is the new Jerusalem, right? So here in this book of uh, Joseph and the Asenath is given the name of a city of refuge, a, a city of salvation. So here, the bride figuratively becomes a holy city containing within herself generations to come so in a way it's kind of like a metaphor of the mother right Mm -hmm. to call her city of refuge michael the archangel promises her quote your walls are adamantine walls of life unquote so adamantine is just another word for diamond Okay. So she is promised to be like a diamond, you know, enduring, beautiful. Quote, because the sons of the living God will dwell in your city of refuge. Unquote. Which reminds us that the bride, the lamb's wife is in Revelation also, as I said, identified with that great city, the holy Jerusalem in chapter 21, that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So finally, at the end of this uh, process of preparation, a is clothed in her wedding robe. The record calls it, quote, the ancient and first robe which is laid up in your chamber since eternity, the robe of wedding, like lightning in appearance, and with a veil she covered her head like a bride, unquote. So
0: this is, of
1: course, the garment
0: of Eve, right? So that, that makes sense. So what about the bridegroom? How does he prepare for the wedding?
1: Bridegroom also puts on holy garments for the wedding called the robing rite, or um, in Greek it was called the endusus, which signifies putting on Christ and the royal priesthood of which the fullness is of course the sealing ordinance. Jesus Christ says of the Father, um, this is in um, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. The Lord says, quote, he hath covered, he my father, right, hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, unquote. So Jesus wears these holy garments that symbolize the priesthood. His father gave them to him. And in the wedding ceremony, both the bride and the groom wear these robes Of the holy priesthood. According to a couple of Jewish scholars, uh, Reuben and Cosman are their names, the wedding robes of Adam and Eve signify, quote, total rectification or total purity, right? And an ultimate return to Edenic innocence, Mm. unquote. So to wear the robe of Christ marks us for, quote, recruitment to his tasks, unquote. In other words, to put on that robe of priesthood means you're recruited. You're, you're in his army. You're in his family. Uh, his mission becomes our mission, which is, of course, to bring to pass
0: the immortality and eternal life of
1: our families and as many others as we can reach.
0: Revelation 19, verse 9 says, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper, Of the Lamb. It sounds like we're going to a big dinner. Right.
1: As far back as Isaiah. I love dinners. I love (laughs) food. Yeah, there's going to be a big wedding breakfast or dinner or whatever. As far back as Isaiah, the Lord promised that there would be a big feast, a great messianic banquet when the Lord comes again. Could you read for us Isaiah chapter 25,
0: verses 6, 7, and 8? In this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees well refined, and he will destroy in his mountain the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. What is this about a mountain and a veil?
1: Uh, The mountain is the mountain of the Lord's house, which is uh, a symbol for for the temple. And the veil is the veil of the temple, right? So the Lord will take down the veil that separates us from him or separates him from the saints. And then everybody sits down to a great feast. Of course, the the feast symbolizes being filled with the Holy Ghost. It's a symbolic feast. I hope it's literal too, but it's symbolic symbolic animal. we know it is at least symbolic right um and it symbolizes being filled with the spirit i hope it's a literal banquet and, and you probably do too
0: i love fun we're foodies you guys <laughs> people in the audience don't know that breck and i are pretty we're pretty significant foodies we love good
1: food. yeah yeah that's a it's a terrible thing isn't yeah. it
0: yeah <laughs> i was in italy last week and the food was remarkable <laughs> oh, golly
1: <laughs> Your middle name is Pasta.
0: It is Pasta. Sam Pasta, Brian. Yeah.
1: So anyway, the in the temple, um, anciently, the priests would uh, have a banquet every week. They partook of the sacred bread. It's called the show bread in the temple on the Sabbath. And this was a foreshadowing ceremony of the time, the end of the world, when the Lord would sit down and eat with all the saints. The scholars call it, quote, a liturgical anticipation of the messianic banquet, which is just fancy language for it. Uh, this is what we're going to do when he comes again. We're going to sit down and have a big uh, festival and feast with him when he comes again. And Jesus told the apostles, right, that, um, that he would, quote, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So there's going to be a feast. So this banquet that we're reading about is the fulfillment of that promise. And Jesus also prophesied about this wedding feast in, um, in Matthew 22, when he said, um, quote, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, And remember, the guests had to wear a special wedding garment to attend the feast, just to get in. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw one man there who wasn't uh, wearing the appropriate garment, and the man was cast
0: out. Right, I remember. Is this a reference to the sacred temple clothing?
1: I think so. In order to advance to the wedding feast, you have to be endowed. And remember, the word endowment is related to the word the Greek word, andousis, um, which means to be clothed. So without the wedding garment, there's no admittance. And you also have to have the proper tokens to get in. In John's world, they didn't issue tickets from a machine, you know, for you to get in or a QR code or something to get in. What they gave you was a white stone. Oh, wow. And the white stones were used as tickets of admission. To festivals and theaters and that sort of thing. So, the white stone is a symbol of admission to the messianic feast. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember that back in Revelation chapter 2, mm-hmm. verse 17, everyone who's initiated gets a white stone on which a new name is written. And Joseph Smith told us that that, that white stone has a new name, that's, and that new name is the key word. And that enables you to get into the banquet. But that stone is more than just a ticket. Uh, Joseph Smith said that, quote, the white stone mentioned in Revelation 2.17 will become a Urim and Thummim to each individual who receives one, whereby things pertaining to a higher order of kingdoms will be made known. And that's in uh, Doctrine and Covenants one thirty. So in other words... Those attending the marriage supper uh, will be feasting on the word of Christ, on on the word of knowledge. It's a spiritual feast. Again, I hope it's literal, but anyway, it's at least a spiritual feast.
0: Right. So the white stone is a symbol of revelation of gaining knowledge.
1: Yeah, it's like like getting a password to divine
0: knowledge. Oh, wow,
1: that is cool. Uh, Joseph Smith said, quote, The mind of man is co-equal with God and craves knowledge as the body craves food. I advise all to go on to perfection and search deeper into the mysteries of godliness. We'll finally get answers to our most important questions. I, for one, am really looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Me too. Um, Professor Michael Wilcox, um, LDS scholar, says this, quote, at the Lord's marriage supper, he will personally bring forth the feast. It is a meal of truth. When he comes to our position at the table and asks what nourishing truth he can offer us, will there not be questions enough for millenniums of inquiry? Hmm. Of course, the saints will use the knowledge and wisdom they've already gained in mortal trials to nurture their own family kingdoms and we will start to comprehend the eternal round of the Father's dominions and power and glory. Quote, as one earth shall pass away and the heavens thereof, even so shall another come. And there is no end to my works, neither to my words, he says in the book of Moses. So at the marriage supper, the Lord says, quote, ye shall partake of the fruit of the tree of life, Yea, ye shall eat and drink of the bread and the waters of life freely. It's Alma chapter 5, verse 34. And those who come to know the bread of life more intimately will live forever and gain all power, glory, and dominion, and knowledge. And for now, here in our present life, the sacrament gives us a foretaste of the kind of peace and power the Savior can bestow. So the sacrament is a beautiful foretaste of the great banquet of truth, which the Lord will himself administer to us on his wedding day. (laughs) Now, there's a beautiful passage in the book of Joseph and Asenath. In preparing for her wedding, Asenath eats, quote, the blessed bread of life and drinks the blessed cup of immortality, unquote. Then the angel Michael gives her, interestingly, miraculous honeycomb to eat, which is a divine food among the ancients. Honeycomb represented um, knowledge and wisdom. Mm. And that's uh, from Proverbs 24. Everyone who eats of it will not die forever, says Michael to Asenath. And then in a sort of curious ritual, he draws his right forefinger across the honeycomb in the shape of a cross. Quote, and the way of his finger became like blood, unquote. Token, obvious token, right, of the sacrifice of Christ. Right. Quote, he says, happy are you, Asenus, because the ineffable mysteries, uh, which in this case means ordinances, of the Most High have been revealed. To you, Finally, in this book of Joseph and Asenath, the officiator blesses Asenath with eternal life, health, and dominion. And here's a quotation. Behold, from today your flesh will flourish like flowers of life from the ground of the Most High, and your bones will grow strong and untiring powers will embrace you, and your youth will not see old age, and your beauty will not fail forever. Now, this blessing sounds a lot like a temple blessing. This blessing echoes a promise that is in the temple. You know, the Egyptian temple ceremony gave the same promise to the newly crowned pharaoh and his queen. The Egyptian priests would give them three tokens. The first token was called the Ankh, which was the symbol of eternal life. You've seen the Ankh, itself. It it looks like a cross with a loop on the top. It's a common Egyptian symbol, and it means eternal life. The priests also give them a second token, which is called the Jed pillar, but is actually a symbol of the human backbone, uh, which signifies health and resurrection. Then a third token that he gives them is called the was, which is a scepter of royal and priestly power. So what they get is eternal life, eternal health, eternal power, okay? Of course, in, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, the Lord fulfills the Ketubah Pledge of all that he has, life everlasting and a share in his divine throne. Now, in our next episode, we're going to go into the ceiling room and find out what happens there. That's the end of the book of
0: Revelation. I'm sad, (laughs) but I'm excited. Thank you.